Oddities. Your home for strange stories, odd events, weird history, bizarre tales, unique places, and different perspectives. That's Meg. And that's Kale. And it is 13 days 13, until Halloween. Which is my favorite number. Yes, same. Nice and spoopy. Yes, nice and spoopy. Good timing. So, so last week, yes, we did favorite horror movies. Yep, classic and non-classic. And we forgot to do a question, so we came up with one earlier today yes what would you say is your favorite candy i've been thinking about this and i don't get candy often we're a diabetic household when i eat sugar it's usually oreos oreos yeah exactly (laughs) so if i could pick treats it would definitely be the halloween oreos Mm. candy probably um the Hershey's Cookies and Cream White Chocolate. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of like an Oreo in a bar form. So. Yeah, that's true. What about you? Chocolate, specifically holiday Reese's. The shaped ones? Yes, because the pumpkins and then Easter ones, the eggs, yeah. are the best. Do they do Valentine's Day? They do hearts, but they're not nearly as good. It's just not the same. It's a different chocolate to peanut butter ratio. Trust me, I've given this a lot of thought. I thought you were going to say that Valentine's Day tainted it or something. Well, that too. It's a dumb holiday. Do they... Please tell me they do a turkey. No? No. No turkeys? Why not? I don't know. Well, or something... Let's write them a very strongly worded letter. How about a tweet? Okay. That's how people do things. We can hire the people that do the Wendy's. They're really good. That's true. We'll get it trending and it'll be the number one thing. Yeah, yeah. You can do it. It'll be our third job. Perfect. So, did you, did you tell me what so, your favorite candy was? So, I guess the Reese's for chocolate. Right. Non-chocolate, I'd say anything sour. Because I love me some spicy pain. Sa- sour Patch Kids? Like that yeah. sour? Or like... Sour, sour. Like Warheads. Oh, like hard atomic candy. Atomic bomb stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, um... Yeah, Atomic Waste. Yeah. Remember those? They really came good. in like the little waste container. We used to get them at the little gas station at the lake. I saw them at a candy store in Scranton. Really? Yeah. I'm still so sad that the local candy store closed. Me too. It was a while ago now, but for anybody that's not familiar with Fairport, um, New York, because I don't know what state you're listening from, um, we used to have a small-time mom-and-pop candy shop that had penny candy. You could go in and grab a paper bag and fill it up and pay you know, 65 cents. She imported candy, so there was always European chocolates and really interesting, like, the um, Lay's ketchup-flavored potato chips that they do. She had Mm -hmm. stuff like that there, too. So it was was just really neat. I loved uh, the nickel nips, the little wax bottles that you would chew the end off and then the liquid was inside. I don't remember. You don't remember those? No. It was really just a ball of wax when you were yum. done with it. Yeah, yum. 
Ooh, childhood. So, speaking of chocolate. Yeah, that's chocolate. something that we're going to talk about today, right? We are, yep. Yeah, it's a household favorite today, but it wasn't always that way. Before we had the chocolate um, powder volcanoes of doom that we get from Nesquik. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, at first, fermented chocolate drinks from Mesoamerica date back to 1400 BCE, um, before Common Era, where the cacao trees were first domesticated. And at this point in time, just to give you an idea of where we are, Thebes is the largest city in the world. So, this is Egypt. This is Egypt's at its prime right now. And then if we go, ironically, to 1400 CE, the Aztecs are using cacao beans as currency, which I think is awesome. We've used yeah. salt before to pay for things. Mm. Less exciting than the chocolate Much or chocolate beans. And this is the same point in time in the Renaissance was beginning, and chocolate is still a luxury. It's really expensive, so it's only affordable to those who have the extra income to be able to splurge. It's been hailed as a delicious cure, and chocolate was used to treat so many things. It's a grocery list. Constipation, dysentery, fatigue, hemorrhoids, kidney disease, angina, indigestion, constipation, and hemorrhoids. Between the belief that chocolate had restorative properties and its invigorating reputation, its use as an aphrodisiac is not surprising at all. Um, there's rulers throughout history who were have like noted to have consumed chocolate before sex as like it was a a bottle of fancy wine or doesn't sound like a bad gig. No, no. And so once it was discovered that drinking chocolate helped people gain weight, it was uh, something people could see with their own eyes. That's what's always worked best in history with medications or any treatments is if you see a change in people. That's what we want. Yeah, exactly. That's what we want. So once we had this in mind, the news spread super fast and chocolate as a medicine spread like wildfire. And so remember the invigorating properties that we talked about. Not only was chocolate seen as having those invigorating properties, but that vigor might make you impulsive and lead to you sinning. Of course. Like having sex or not going to church anymore. And obviously this made the church nervous. So they declared that chocolate should only ever be taken when directed by a physician, which was really just A-OK with everybody. Everybody won. Right. I guess then the church was happy. The physicians were happy because they could now write a prescription for chocolate. People could get their chocolate. <laughs> so doctors didn't miss a beat. They prescribed it prescribed it for so many conditions and symptoms, weight gain, nervous system stimulant, digestion aid, as a diuretic, as an expectorant, with claims of its effectiveness on even flatulence and infertility. Just covers all the bases. I I told you before we started recording that I still want to know what they did to ever, like, have a link between flatulence and chocolate. Seriously. That one just sticks (laughs) out to me a lot. But in the 19th century, we saw the invention of powdered chocolate. So prior to this, chocolate was not shelf-stable, and every time that you wanted to make a chocolate drink, you had to go through the painstaking process of melting it. Not too far. Sorry. Uh, So the powdered versions of chocolate made it easier to prescribe and consume and to experiment and create with. There's records in the books that I read for these episodes that have recipes that people are making for the first time, things like pudding, Hmm. um, where they take and add the 
cacao or the chocolate in with egg yolk to thicken it for custard, um, chocolate covered desserts. So it's the first time that we're ever seeing these desserts that we're so used to seeing everywhere. So this is when the health chocolate industry was born and products such as chocolate laxatives and Heath bars hit the shelves and Heath bars original slogan was Heath for health. Mm. So they really touted it as a medical product and it was around this same time that Hershey's chocolate was born and John Cadbury from that Cadbury company began promoting chocolate drinks as an alternative to alcohol. That's awesome. Which I thought was really cool because I would love a bar and just go out and be like, can I have a double chocolate milk, please? Right. Can I have a double chocolate milk with maybe some espresso in it? Shoot it. Another. Like, <laughs> I'll take a double on the rock. No. 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 no take that back. I take that back. <laughs> so, speaking of products, let's skip back quick to revisit an older recipe, one for hypochondria. Mixed together, cocoa, musk, ambergris, which is a waxy substance that originates as a secretion in the intestines of the sperm whale and is used in perfume making, mm -hmm. and ground human skull. A more simplistic version of this recipe included powdered chocolate and bone and was used to treat apoplexy, which is bleeding within your internal organs. Yeah. And speaking of skulls, look at let's look at some of the other corpse medicine recipes and treatment recipes. Let's call them prescriptions. It sounds a lot better. It does. King's drops were compromised of ground human skull and alcohol and was used to treat a wide variety of conditions such as epilepsy, convulsions, nervous complaints, heart failure, gout, swelling, and apoplexy again. To prepare this tincture, pieces of skull were boiled in glass containers. The liquid was then strained, distilled, and bottled. Less common than normal skulls, many of which were acquired through the illegal process of grave robbing, Perfect like we timing. were talking about last yep. week, were skulls overgrown with moss. This moss, called usnea? Yeah. it's In common terms, it's referred to as old man's beard, because it does look like you could pick up a clump of it and put it on your face, and it looks like wispy hmm. tendrils. So yeah, it's a special moss. Only those who died from violence could grow this moss, and inside the moss was that person's vitality, their soul. So it was, you know, known as a cure for epilepsy. It was also inserted into the nose or wounds to staunch bleeding. Do you know what I thought of when I when I wrote that? Did you ever watch that movie with um, Amanda Byrne? The child actress. Amanda Bynes. Bynes, yes. The yeah. one where she was pretending to be a guy in that soccer movie. and they, She's all that. She shoved the tampon up her yeah. nose and she told them that it was for nosebleeds. Yeah. That's exactly oh what I thought of when I was thinking of people sticking this moss up their nose. <laughs> <laughs> mm, skull, moss, and tampons. Mm -hmm. I get it. So, not unlike the thought process behind us, Nia... People believed in the healing and restorative powers of different parts of freshly executed criminals. Here's how some of it went down. People wanted to regain life from conditions and symptoms. To fix what ails you, find that quality and consume it. The hope is that it would restore the same quality in the patient, especially if the remedy came from a young person. Or virgins. Or virgins, of course. Red-headed people, they really like, sorry, gingers. It's... Oh, dang. Yeah. If someone dies before living a full life, the years unlived could be transferred to someone else if they consumed them. 
which is kind of a neat idea. Yeah, I, I, we're at this point in history, we're still we believe firmly in the soul being in the body, and yeah. again, like the dissection would keep you from being able to go to heaven, right. transcend. Yeah. Preserved flesh of the dry kind. That's not a sentence I ever thought that I would <laughs> well, say. There's also a flesh that's not dry, <laughs> that's suspended in liquid. Perfect. Well, the, the dry kind could be ground up and made into a tincture to break up blood clots. Specialty pastes with ground up corpse were used to treat bruising. <laughs> yes, ground up corpse. I, you I, that, can't right? help, I can't help but wonder if we should have put a disclaimer You're at right. the beginning of the episode. Please have already eaten dinner if you are squeamish. Right. Don't listen while you're cooking if it grosses you out. This is a good opportunity to pause. Okay, we'll keep going. A combination of flesh mixed with myrrh and aloe, then soaked in wine, could be used to treat epilepsy. Pulverized human heart was prescribed for dizziness. Because that's... Yeah. Why not? Right. I mean... Blood has been used to treat skin infections and fevers, to generate hair growth, to kill parasitic infections, and to maintain a young appearance. Bonus points if you recognize the last reference, the story of Elizabeth Battery, the blood countess who was a Hungarian noblewoman and most likely one of the most prolific serial killers in history. She's known for torturing and murdering her young female servants, and she claimed to have bathed in their blood. She has the Guinness World Record, apparently, for the most amount of victims killed. I don't know how. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up and I'll, uh, I'll update everybody next week, because I'm really intrigued to find out. Did they have a confirmed number? I would imagine it's pretty up in there. Most... Um, estimates will say 400. I've seen some that say up to like 600. I guess it's in, in, impossible to no put vision. in, yeah, yeah. yeah, to envision it because of her status as a noble woman, wealth, privilege, luxury. So some more fun stuff. Some more of those good sense. Romans drank the blood of gladiators to treat epilepsy. Fun! In the 16th century, you could use the freshly spilled blood of a criminal as treatment. However, this was mostly something the poorest did. Those with money could buy directly from the apothecary. If you're looking to scare away hemorrhoids, might I suggest the sweat of the dying. Sweat of the dying. I shouldn't laugh at there is no one more scared than the person waiting for their turn to face execution. Also a bad sentence. Do you want to stop I was going to say, do you want to do that one again? Oh my god. Okay. There is no one more scared than the person waiting for their turn to face execution. To doctors, this meant that the sweat would scare away hemorrhoids. It was also interpreted in the exact opposite way, too. Strength can come from adrenaline, which can be caused by panic. Therefore, someone who suffers from panic could gain strength. I I wanted to just automatically say I wish and I stopped myself because that would be really gross. Yeah, it would. Ugh. So after the Do they hand- use a squeegee? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or is it like Halloween Town where the ghost is in that hot box thing and she just takes the vial and puts it up to his forehead? Yes. I like to imagine it's like that. Uh, so many mental images so after the hangman has done his first job then he can move on to his second which is providing various concoctions for sale to others in town 
One such item you can count on was human fat. Mm -hmm. It was thought to be a potent medicine for its connection to the spirit. Fat is part of the human body, and human remains are containment for the spirit, like you were saying we're earlier. basically walking meat sacks. Yes, meat skeletons. Meat skeletons for our squishy soul inside. Why is it squishy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, thought it would sound better for some reason. So the oil of human fat, a.k.a. man's grease, poor sinner's fat, and the hangman's salve, was a bomb used for healing wounds, pain relief, gout, rheumatism, cancers, and, oddly enough, love potions. One of these things is not <laughs> like the other. In Germany, doctors prescribed fat-soaked bandages for wounds. Melted human fat was prescribed for lame limbs, with instructions to rub the fat onto the afflicted limbs, and they would be restored. Fat could also be used to treat hydrophobia, which today is called rabies. Skins... Skin that has been tanned can be worn around the abdomen for childbirth pains and around the neck for thyroid issues. Yeah. Again, pretty all-encompassing. And they make horror movies about this stuff, and it's right here in history. Yeah, it is. So, now we have mummy-infused poultices that were used to treat snake bites, syphilitic sores, shaking my head, my brain is saying no, (laughs) headaches, jaundice, joint pain, and epilepsy. I lost count of how many times we've had treatments for epilepsy Yeah, already. Have you noticed that it's a really common one? I wonder, I want to know why. I wonder why it was, it was epilepsy, did it occur more often back then? Was it more of an issue? What led to there being so many specific treatments for it? I just am curious. So... Okay, and then there's that one time when a misunderstanding, probably a translation error, led to cannibalism. And here's how it happened. Bitch, shh, sorry, my cat found a cardboard box. It fits, it sits. (laughs) Bitumen is a resin-like substance that occurs naturally. It's called mamiya and was prescribed and used in medieval Islamic medicine. Today, its primary use is in the construction of roads, specifically as a binder for asphalt. But back then, it was used to treat arthritis and other medical ailments. In Persian, the word for wax, mamiya, was used to refer to the resin used by the ancient Egyptians in their mummification process. So you can see how this gets confusing fast. What happened when the supply of pitch, a.k.a. bitumen, ran low? Merchants broke open monies, monies, hmm, Nope, mummies, and lo and behold, they found black resin. This was then referred to as mummy resin, or mummia, and all of the curative properties of the original resin were then shifted to be associated with the mummy resin. So, it's, it's so, it's confusing, but I think that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so now we have thousands of pounds of mummy. Thousands. I believe a statistic said in London in a year there were like 500 pounds. That's how popular it it became. And the demand was so high that there was a mummy shortage. And then we did what humans have done throughout the history of medicine. When we couldn't find what we needed, we made it up. Corpses were scavenged much like last week's episode. The homeless, beggars, those with leprosy, plague victims, essentially the bodies of people they deemed that wouldn't be missed. 
They were mummified in a more modern way by use of aloe, myrrh, bitumen, and a large furnace, and after being baked, they were dipped in pitch. There's also a process that was referred to, pre- referred to as producing insta-mummies. If a body was still fresh, it could be preserved by being submerged in a vat of honey and herbs. The flesh of mummies is incredibly dry, and it crumbles easily, and people saw this as a sign that it made good medicine. Of course they did. Awkward. I <laughs> just look up from talking about that. Awkward eye contact. Yeah, so crumbling it up makes good medicine. This ground-up corpse powder reached coffee-level popularity, and it might surprise you to know that it was consumed for the same reason. This is a pick-me-up. You could get up to five pounds of sterling silver per pound of mummy flesh. England started a mummy import tax. In Cairo, tombs were raided and plundered. The heads would be cut off and sold separately, while the rest of the mummy was boiled to collect that resin, that mummia. So it's, it, I've always loved ancient Egypt and Egyptian mythology, and it's makes me really sad a little bit um, to think of how much history we lost because of all of that plundering that they did and all of those mummies. I was just thinking. That they ru- I mean, the yeah. same could be said about any of the grave robbing, but, right, but. We, we really have no idea how far it went. So, mummy medicine died off in the late 18th century, but it's far from being the only invigorating remedy out there. Modern times have many invigorating foods and drinks to wake you up. You've got coffee, energy drinks, caffeine pills. I've seen caffeinated shampoo. Um, Really? There's really weird things that they caffeinate now. It's like... Caffeine gum. Yeah. uh, It's that... We need that Jeff Goldblum gift from Jurassic Park. You were too busy. Oh. Wondering if you could. You didn't stop the yes. fact that you should. There we go. Thank you. So, in our early history, doctors are known to diagnose and prescribe some insane and dangerous prescriptions. Need to wake up? Are you in any pain? My friend, just try some cocaine, either on its own or as part of other remedies. Please don't. Coca-Cola comes to mind, of course, but there's a plethora of other products that contain cocaine or other serious drugs like Bayer brand heroin, which was originally advertised as a cough syrup for children. I love origin stories. Isn't it awesome? No, not awesome. You get what I mean. (laughs) Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup was a dependent upon tool for mothers and child caregivers. How much would you pay to cure all that ails the children? As much money as I had. We're talking about colic, cramps, dysentery, canker sores, and pain. I'm sure whatever the cost was, it was a steal, as each bottle contained morphine, cannabis, heroin, and opium. Mm-hmm. You can kiss those teething pains goodbye. You could kiss probably any feeling <laughs> goodbye. You could kiss consciousness goodbye, yeah. probably. And on the topic of teeth, let's talk about mercury. If you've had dental work done, which we both have, Mm -hmm. and we hate it, or if you know someone who has, you're probably aware that the materials for fillings have changed a lot over time. Yeah. Even recently, our grandmother had to have one replaced. It's apparently very common these days. Mm -hmm. It took time for professionals to realize the dangerous consequences of bad filler, like mercury. Over time, mercury will poison the bloodstream, and its use wasn't limited to just dental work. Mercury was touted as a cure-all for ailments like wounds. And it was put in everything. Everything, yeah. 
Another cure-all is tobacco. It has either been prescribed for every ailment, or it just seems that way, to ward off sicknesses like cold, for diphtheria, typhus, headaches, constipation, tetanus, and even to prevent mouth and throat ailments. Right. Which is just ironic. Yeah, you had, you learned something else about tobacco tonight, didn't you? Did I? Yeah. All the smoke. (laughs) (laughs) We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you this. Yeah, you want to talk about the smoke? Okay. (laughs) So, smoke used to be used as another cure, too. Yeah. It was used as a resuscitation method in the 18th century. Yep. Hence where the term blowing smoke up your butt comes from. Yes, yeah, spoiler. A real thing. You forgot to mention that part. Well. <laughs> you didn't want to say I it, did excited. you? No. Nope. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, they used smoke as a resuscitation method for the drowned. And they before bellows, you would do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you would use a tube. Mm-hmm. And you put would... one end in the person's anus and the other end in your mouth. Try really hard not to pull any droplets in because yep. you could catch diseases like this and you'd just blow the smoke up the tube. Yep. And they had two goals with this. One was to warm the victim and the second was to stimulate respiration because we all know that your butt the leads butt's to connected your lungs. to the lung hole. <laughs> And we saw this because at the time, mouth-to-mouth was considered vulgar. So why not go to the butt? That's the next thing that makes sense. We insert the Finding Nemo. I'm gonna touch the butt. (laughs) This became so popular that tobacco enema kits were manufactured and sold in people's houses. Yep. That's just... (laughs) I guarantee you, if something can fit up a butt... At some point in time, it has been done in the name of medicine. That's... <laughs> like, you you thought jackass was messed up when, you know, they put right. the Hot Wheel car in the condom. I mean, we got people putting cigarette smoke up their butt because they got water in their lungs. True. Yeah. There should be some special kind of memorial for people that have had, like, butt experiments in the name of science. <laughs> oh, Okay. So, if you're feeling exhausted, reach for a soda. Might I suggest cocoa wine? A combination of wine and cocaine purported to build up the system and obtain a new lease of life by using the Prince of Tonics. Another fun one was Dr. Miles' compound extract of tomato. (laughs) Such a fancy way for saying ketchup, but that's exactly what it was. It was originally used as a medication. It was prescribed for diarrhea, indigestion, and to prevent cholera. <laughs> the last one. Ketchup. How? Ketchup. Tomatoes, you superfood, you. I didn't even know. And then one other fun one. Beer and crushed garlic. Mm-hmm. So I forgot to look up how to pronounce his name, but this 4th century Greek physician, Philomenus, that probably looks right. I don't know. You can just say Greek physician in the 4th century and they're all like, they're all weird. Sure. So he decided to cure poisonous bites. Like snakes? Yep, like snakes. By consuming this beer and crushed garlic to induce vomiting. Because when you get bit by a snake, for example, 
all you want in that moment is to vomit, which will not help your snake bite in the slightest. Again, it's they see a result and that's what they want to see, but it's not the proper result. Right. Yeah, the Greek physicians are, they've got some... Can you imagine downing that mixture? Beer and crushed garlic? No, but... Oh. I think that's mild in comparison to the cocaine and wine. That's true. <laughs> so next we have, to prevent illness and disease at Battle Creek Sanitarium, they prescribed a healthy lifestyle combined with yogurt enemas, no sex, and bland food. You heard that right. Initially opened in 1866 as the Western Health Reform Institute, the resort was led by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, the only reason I mention church in this context, because I don't know a lot about organized religion, is that John Kellogg, who we're going to be talking about for the rest of the episode, was excommunicated from the church. Mm-hmm. So he went off and did his own thing separate and said, essentially, I don't need to belong to any church. Um, but he had those views still from religion. So even though he no longer was associated with the church, the foundations of the policies and thoughts that went into Battle Creek Sanatorium were based off of religious perspective. So that's why gotcha. I, that's why I bring it up. So like I said, after he separated from the church, Dr. John Kellogg purchased a former health resort, expanded, revamped, and opened his sanitarium where he could preach those ideals I just mentioned based off of religious principles. While he did promote certain healthy aspects, he also endorsed some extreme practices, and we're going to look at both. Life at Battle Creek consisted of a vegetarian diet, exercise, fresh air, sobriety, no sugar, no caffeine, and no spices, on top of the no sex. Each day, patients received a ration of yogurt. Half was to be eaten, and the other half was to be used in an enema. Like Mm. I told you. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's an object, there's a butthole. John John Kellogg lived... (laughs) I wish that could be the episode title, but that would not fly. <laughs> so I'll totally do it. I think I just lost my spot. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So we got half being going in one way, the other half going in the other way. <laughs> so he, John Kellogg himself lived and preached an abstinent life. Rumors, reports say that his wife and him of 40 years never consummated their marriage. I mentioned to you, I'm not quite sure he knew where babies came from if everyone stopped having sex. Well, maybe no more people prayed really hard for them. That, yeah, Uh, that might have been. So it's because of this. So he believed that illness and disease stemmed from sex or the bowels. I don't, he really apparently wasn't too sure one or the other. So the facility at Battle Creek was immense. It was huge. It had 30 doctors and nurses with a full staff of over 800 people. Four buildings comprised the sanitarium, with the main building having accommodations for roughly 400 guests. 
They don't refer to them as patients because it's mm. a spa, like a health resort. The treatment rooms could hold roughly a thousand patients, and they included tons of different types of therapy. We have hydrotherapy, aka water cure, and thermotherapy, aka heat therapy, and both sought to help with pain. Hydrotherapy was so popular that its use in treatment required two three story buildings just for its use. Phototherapy, aka light therapy, Therapy involved exposure to specific wavelengths of light for specific amounts of time, sometimes at specific times of the day, excuse me, to help treat skin disorders and eczema. Physical exercise and activities that they offered included gymnastics, swimming, they organized wood chopping, games, hiking, skiing. If you could do it there, they made it happen. And the Battle Creek became the in-place for the wealthy and the famous. So like I said, health spa kind of thing. It would see such popular and famous icons as Mary Todd Lincoln, Henry Ford, Amelia Earhart, and Sojourner Truth. While searching for and experimenting to create a bland food for patients, a tray of wheat sections dried out overnight and became hard and brittle after baking. And it's this early prototype that would eventually lead to the creation of cornflake cereal. So chew 40 times, remember, no sex, and no foods that might make you want to have sex. So definitely no chocolate. And this is where the cereal comes into play. They were bland and perfect food for food at the sanitarium because they had no spices, no flavor. Nothing good. Nothing good. No, oh yeah, no masturbation at all. Kellogg vehemently believed it could cause numerous conditions and disorders. Here are just a handful. Uterine cancer, moral corruption, which is probably my favorite, paralysis, insanity, and epilepsy. Epilepsy. Yeah, yeah. that's what we need it for. So what happens when a parent catches a child masturbating? Kellogg suggested that those with penises be circumcised without anesthesia to make sure they associate pain with their genitals. And the same sentiment goes for those with vaginas. If he didn't recommend complete removal of the clitoris or a clitorectomy, carbolic acid would be applied to deter the person from masturbation or any other healthy associations with sex. Granite, it would eventually be John's brother, Will, who went off on his own, added sugar, and created the first marketable cornflakes, but it was originally a family effort. After working at the sanitarium for 26 years, Will would leave to form the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflakes Company. When the Great Depression hit, sanitariums began closing as people became unable to afford extra expenses like staying at Battle Creek. And then, unable to afford the cost of maintenance, the sanitarium was signed over in 1933. The building was purchased by the U.S. government during World War II and converted into a hospital. And at the time, it was purchased for $2.5 million, roughly. Dang. So that's how large this this facility was. Because it's not really not a building. It's So he's now... Now marks the end of John Kellogg's twisted legacy, but the family name lives on. He's gone down in history, remembered for his contribution to the cereal and his use of radiation therapy can for cancer. However, his legacy, the real one, now lives on with each of our listeners, and I bet you'll never look at cornflakes the same way. Or ketchup, apparently. Ketchup. Chocolate. Chocolate. Hot cocoa. It's good for your health. Drink more. Yes. It is fall. It is crunchy leaf season.
There it is. And that was a rough end to an episode. I didn't int- intentionally intend to go into that, but it's something in history that happens. It happens today. It's real. Yeah. We need to say words for what they are. Use mm-hmm. actual words. Get rid of the taboo. And be thankful for people like Will, who took something gross and added sugar to it. <laughs> yeah, and then positive note. went off and started a serial revolution. So we are recording a couple days early this week, Yep. but when you're hearing this, it will be Friday and 13 days until Halloween, and we'll be back the Friday after that, and it will be, is that our last check-in before Halloween, I think? I think so, yeah. So I would love to have people active on our social media and our Patreon. Let us know what you're dressing up as. Yeah. Let us know your Halloween traditions, share stories with us. We like all that spooky and spoopy stuff. All of it. All of it. And I think that's probably how we'll leave you. A little bit of a somber end. Absolutely. We'll be back next week with another Halloween-appropriate episode. I was trying to think if I was going to give a sneak or not, but I think I'm going to opt not to. Maybe we'll post the sneak in the Patreon instead. That's a good idea. All right. So stay weird. Yeah, stay weird. Stay strange. We'll see you next week.